right. Well, welcome to the G3 podcast. It's our privilege to join you this week as we come once again for the subject of sound biblical theology. I'm joined by Vice President, Editor-in-Chief Scott Annual. Good to have you with us today. Yep. Good to be here. As we talk about uh, G3 Ministries, obviously this ministry exists for the purpose of strengthening local churches and helping local churches navigate not only challenges, but also to be able to educate them and to encourage them with sound biblical theology. And as we think about the goal of this ministry, one of the things as we look back over church history and we think about where we've come in church history, we see that there have been struggles and, you know, seasons of challenge and yet at the heart of it all, there seems to be this common thread, which is the sufficiency of God's Word. Right. So we want to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture today. But as we jump into the conversation, let's begin with a few announcements. So Scott, tell us what's happening in the life of G3 Ministries. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a moment ago our mission of equipping and encouraging and edifying God's people. Uh, we announced G3 Plus just a little over a month now, and it has already received a uh, very good response. Lots of people uh, seeing the content there. I uh, encourage those listening or watching, if you haven't yet checked out G3+, Plus, make sure to do that. Uh, lots of resources. We're continually adding video, audio resources. We've got some exciting projects in the work as we speak. And so this is a wonderful resource for your entire family. Uh, video, audio, podcasts, teaching series, things for children, uh, all sorts of resources there that can be a help to you. Uh, Also, make sure to go to g3min.org and check out the other resources we have. We have free online curricula for families and for churches, as well as books through G3 Press. Uh, Just announced the uh, pre-orders opening for a brand new book that I think will be a really help to a lot of pastors on the issue of how to deal with with issues of abuse within, within churches, a very pastoral book that's available right now. And so check, check that out. And then finally, Virgil's, uh, Virgil's away, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention our events on his behalf. Uh, we've got uh, workshops coming up, both expository workshops and worship workshops, an expository workshop in Florida in January, right, that you're right. doing? Yeah. So encourage pastors to take advantage of that workshop. And then a workshop right here in Douglasville, Georgia in March. You'll be preaching, I'll be teaching, and some others. And we're focusing on the Psalms for that mm-hmm. workshop, so that'll be a great workshop as well. And then two regional conferences next year, and our our most uh, upcoming one will be in May uh, in Texas. Our team just got back from a site visit uh, at Countryside Bible Church there. That's going to be a fantastic conference on the subject of the Reformation, teaming up with Reformation Heritage Books in a partnership on that conference, and so that'll be very exciting. And then in the the, uh, fall, we have our Cessationism Conference coming up, and that'll tie into some of the things we're talking about today. So a lot going on. Uh, make sure to subscribe to our email list, get on the website, get on G3 Plus to find out all that we are doing. Yeah, before we dive into the conversation, let's talk a little bit about the workshops. Just as yeah. a reminder, I mean, obviously, uh, we think about the preaching workshops. I mean, if you're able to join us for one of the expository preaching workshops, we would love to have you. This is a, a workshop that enables brothers to come together to be able to rightly handle Scripture, to learn how to approach a pericope, a paragraph of Scripture, to really drive at an exegetical outline that will then uh, enable you to you know, produce a good preaching outline. Uh, but really, uh, at the heart of it, not only is there this wonderful opportunity to sharpen your ability in God's Word, but also, you know, just the opportunity to encourage one another, build friendships. Right. These are true workshops. Yeah. Like some things 
call themselves preaching workshops and you just sit and listen to lectures yeah, over and over again. Yeah, there, is, there is teaching mm-hmm. in our workshops, but as Tom Buck, the head of our expository workshops, often says, the heartbeat of the workshops are the small groups. Right. And that's what you're talking about, the yeah. ability to, to show our work and then stimulate and encourage one another. Uh, and the structure is the same for our worship workshops, same yeah. thing. We've got teaching times, but then we break up into small groups. Uh, pastors who come are able to plan worship services tied into a particular uh, passage of Scripture. Again, in March, we're going to focus on the Psalms, and then to be able to have feedback and, mm-hmm. and uh, talk about each other's plans. Yeah, uh, so pastors pastors should come to right. the worship workshops. Right. It's not just the music guy. In fact, in fact, I could just say it like this, yeah. really. <laughs> um, if you're in a church where you're, you know, really making progress, you're, you're, you're seeing, you know, really good things happening in the life of your church, but you might not be there yet in, in the sense of a full-on, full-orbed, reformed ecclesiology, mm-hmm. but you have a good brother that's really been trusted with leading in worship, leading yeah. in singing— I mean, it would be a good opportunity for that brother to come Absolutely. to this workshop yeah. and to be able to understand the importance of how we approach the liturgy, the order of worship on the Lord's Day. So there's not just random selection of songs right. thrown out there, and then there's the preaching that comes at yeah. the end, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's important to say, too, that exactly correct. For, for both workshops, the expository workshop and then the worship workshop, the goal is to take you just one step further. Tom says this often in the expository workshops. We say this in the worship workshops as, as well. We're not looking for some sort of idealized image of either what uh, what expository work ought to be or a worship service. We're moving forward, right? So whatever stage you are in or your church is in in terms of preaching or a worship service, these workshops are are designed to take you the next step, which is why we have many men who come to many workshops. This is not something you just come to once. Mm-hmm. You come, you work, you get feedback, you move one step forward, and then you come back to another one, and they can be a great encouragement. I just I just got off the phone uh, yesterday, the day before, with a pastor uh, who has been to preaching workshops as well as worship workshops, and he was just talking about how much both workshops have revolutionized his preaching. Mm. And then specifically, he wanted to talk to me about how much it had revolutionized their church's worship. Oh, wow. And that was really encouraging to hear. Yeah, that is encouraging. Yeah. Certainly is. Well, we just got back from a wonderful tour uh, through the UK, the British Reformation yeah. tour, and that was fantastic. And as we, and the, the reason I mentioned that is we think about the subject of the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So much of what we see happening in the the Reformation era, and you think about you know coming out of the the gloom and the doom really of the Roman Catholic Church, and you see these reformers who are pointing people back to the Word. Yes. In fact, every city that we went to, if we stood in front of a statue mm-hmm. of one of the reformers, interestingly enough. At some level, they're either holding the Bible or holding it and pointing yes. to the yes. Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because obviously, it is the Word of God that is sufficient. The Word of God is our final authority. Right. How we worship God is revealed to us in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we are made right with God and reconciled to God is found in the pages of Scripture, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I had that same thought. As soon as you mentioned the Reformation trip, I'm thinking any any painting, picture, statue, any reference to John Knox or or Tyndale or any of these key English reformers, and it's true of the of of other uh, reformers in other parts of the world as well. 
the, the very first principle that they're emphasizing is the necessity to return to the sufficiency and authority of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That is the key foundational sola from which all of the rest of the solas derive. Of course, they're responding to Roman Catholicism that valued Scripture, but A, didn't value it enough to put it in the language of the people. They didn't trust the people. But then even almost worse, B, mandated that their particular interpretation of the Scripture be that which was authoritative, rather than Scripture itself. Raising the issue of, of the authority of the church or tradition at the same level at, at Scripture. And so every one of these reformers, and we witness it over and over again as we sort of t- retold the story of the English reformers, every one of them is pointing back to the authority of the inspired Word of, word of God and the sufficiency of a closed canon. We have everything that we need for life and godliness, and so we don't need uh, uh, magisterial um, de- declarations of truth. We need preachers to rightly handle the Word of God, and in order to do that, we have to trust in the sufficiency of the Word of God. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So we have a lot of people that come to our conferences, and they're not all on the same level in terms of spiritual development, spiritual growth, and yet we hear stories often of people who are just becoming, you know, aware and awakened to the the deficient level of evangelical circles in in the local church even yeah. in our present hour. And yet as we think about that, as we look at the condition of the church today, how did we get here? Mm. And and I think honestly, if we if we're going to be honest about this, we have to say that there was a departure from the sufficiency yeah. of God's word. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at all of the controversies, you look at all of these different movements that have gone through like wind after wind after wind coming mm-hmm. through evangelicalism. Uh, there's a common thread, yeah. and that common theme is a denial or a departure from the sufficiency of right. God's Word. I mean, if you look at the the church growth movement, which plagued evangelicalism, we're still Continues at this to, yeah. point uh, receiving the horrible fruit from that. Mm-hmm. It's a denial of... Right. The sufficiency of God's word. I mean, we can talk about the inerrancy of God's word all day long, yeah. and we can beat that drum, and we can raise money for our institutions and denominations and organizations about how we are champions of the inerrancy of God's word. But really, at the heart of the controversy today is this issue of the sufficiency of Scripture. I think you're exactly right. Any heresy, any problem that has crept into evangelicalism, you really could trace back to this to this issue. And there's a lot of causes for this. Uh, I I trace historically a lot of this back to Charles Finney in the Second Great Awakening, mm-hmm. uh, who really did push back against the sufficiency of Scripture by advocating what he <clears throat> said were new measures. We need new practices. Yeah. We can't just rely on the old things. The old the old practices in, that are articulated for us in the Word of God, those have grown stale. They don't have the same effect any longer. And so we need to develop new measures. He's telling you know people in his evangelistic meetings to look to what the advertisers of the day are doing and look at look at these strategies and these strategies in order to move people to the point of conversion and spiritual revival. Really planting those seeds of distrust that had been in the sufficiency of Scripture that had been recovered in the Reformation, and now here is one who is in the stream of the Reformation 
who now is once again questioning whether or not the Bible is really sufficient. And I think that does lay the groundwork for the church growth movement. It lays the groundwork for the uh, the growth of Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement. It, it, it influences worship. It influences ecclesiology. It influences preaching. So many aspects of what came to be evangelicalism are influenced by Finney and his followers distrusting yeah. the sufficient word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, there in chapter 1, in paragraph 6, states, "...the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Now, that's an extremely important paragraph, yeah. doctrinally speaking, because it helps us to see that we should not have new revelations of the Spirit mm-hmm. or traditions of men. Right. And so whether we're talking about, you know, historically the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church or just modern day traditions that we might, you know, cripple ourselves with and yeah. handcuff ourselves with and how we function in the life of the church. We should be bound by God's Word and by God's Word alone, and that's going to help us. It's going to free us to be faithful to understand that as God blesses our church, then He gets the claps. He gets the praise for it rather than some sort of scheme or, you know, know, idea that we came up with, right? That's such an important way to put it, too. It is freeing. Some people think that, you know, the the doctrine of trusting the sufficiency of Scripture or the regulative principle of worship or these things, they're so restrictive. It's actually the opposite. It frees us from having to trust in our own ingenuity and creativity, from having to come up with new measures, from having to, you know, weigh, all right, here's this newest fad. Should we or should we not do it in the church? You don't have to worry about that. You can just trust in what God has said. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, you really are giving him the honor That's right. rather than trusting in our own creativity, which is so important as well. Yeah, so when we look at the schemes or we think about, you know, these different movements, and then we start looking at even modern-day controversies like the Southern Baptist Convention with social justice mm-hmm. and this Resolution 9 where it clearly stated in there. Now, this is, a, this is a convention of churches that has fought a bloody war over the inerrancy of God's Word for many years. And now here they are gathered for their annual meeting, and they're adopting a resolution that states explicitly we're going to use these these you know ideas and these ideologies, namely that within the the realm, the, the sphere of social justice, right. as analytical tools for gospel ministry. Now, you know, again, back during that that strategic hour, that that moment, that controversial moment, a lot of people and pastors were really unaware of what they were voting on, right. and we have to be honest about Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. but at the end of the day. Um, now that we've had an opportunity to step away and to to really reveal and look and examine, uh, you know, all of that is is quite clear. There was an agenda to take a group of churches to say we need something more than the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now that's problematic, right? Right. And when we think about not only the the foundation of that sort of idea, that approach to ministry, it cripples churches. It opens up the front door of local churches to really Pandora's box, mm-hmm. like what's going to happen next? Right. And if you approach ministry that way, saying, well, we need 
sociology here, what other idea might you then be tempted to embrace for the success of your ministry moving forward. Exactly. And then you have to you have to trust your own wisdom mm-hmm. to be able to judge what is acceptable and what is not. Who who is willing to do that? Right. right. We are fallible. Even God's even God's, you know, ordained leaders within the church, yes, we are given responsibility to shepherd and to lead our congregation, but that is a derivative authority that falls under the authority of the word, even we who are pastors cannot trust ourselves implicitly to have the wisdom apart from the word to be able to discern what ideologies to to utilize or what movements or what philosophies. I think you're right. Once you open that door, and I think a lot of times men who do so at the beginning are well-meaning. Maybe they just intend to use this one thing. Once you open the door, what's to say that you're not opening the door to just about anything? That's right. And uh, and we you know we're 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 trusting on something fallible rather than something that is infallible. Mm-hmm. The Word of God. Yeah. When we look at the church today, we see a lot of you know different movements, and people are trying to figure out ways to be successful. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with saying I want my church to grow. Right. But how we approach that really does matter as well. And so when you see pastors that are seeking to employ tactics and schemes, and all of these different approaches to gospel ministry, it really demonstrates a deficiency in their own heart because it states, you know, basically that we we really don't have as much confidence in the power of God's Word to be unleashed and to right. disciple the, the hearts and the minds of the people here. And is the Bible really preached openly and widely and passionately, the power of God and the salvation to the unbelievers? Right. And if we really embrace the, tr- the the trustworthiness and the sufficiency of God's word, both in discipleship and evangelism, then it frees us from being crippled by these schemes. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that's clear to me as I think about, you know, like I, I look at our city, I look at Atlanta, I look at other cities when I travel, and I'm constantly aware of these churches that are just trying to do something new. And they're trying to one-up one another. Like they, well, you know, this church has this to offer and this church has that to offer. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having a ministry that's, you know, intentionally focused on a specific group of people. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that the trickery and the schemes that are employed to really entertain people so that, you know, you get them to come into your church, make them feel comfortable and then you just sort of like, you know, throw out a Bible verse here and there or, you know, a really shallow sermon, that's problematic. When we were in London recently, we went to the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which obviously is the historic church of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And one of the things that's always just quite evident to me when I go to this church to worship, this church is in the heart of one of the most modern cities one of the most strategic cities on planet Earth right now, which is London. And you have this church that is vibrant, it is healthy, it is packed out on the Lord's Day. Mm -hmm. And when you go in there and you sit down, you're going to be greeted by, you know, deacons and other church members that are there in the in the in the foyer of the church as you walk in the front and they're going to provide you a bible if you don't have one and then they're going to help you find a seat and they're you know very generous and and gracious and welcoming and warm but when you go in and you sit down there's nothing 
that that happens in that worship service mm-hmm. that is seeking to attract the people on the streets of London. Right. There is no performance that's offered. There's no praise band that's up there doing anything. There's no moving lights. There's nothing in that room that says, I'm attracting this modern city right. in the doors. And yet they are a very evangelistic church. Absolutely. They have outreach to children. Uh, one of the two sermons, they have, you, know, you, you mentioned being packed out. They're yeah. packed out Sunday morning and Sunday and night. And every Sunday night is an evangelistic every, service. Every one, yeah. yeah. So it's not like they're not interested in evangelism, but you're right. They, you, you said earlier, what is our confidence in? Churches who have confidence in the Word of God won't be trying to do gimmicky things to attract people. Yeah. They'll simply open the Word of God and yeah. preach the Word of God. That yeah. is the power of God to salvation, and that is what is sufficient to equip us for every good work. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, there were lots of young people. Yeah. This is not like uh, just full of a bunch of just you know almost dead people <laughs> sitting there. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of really young people, mm-hmm. uh, young professionals, yeah. Um, older people as well. It's a great mixture. I mean, this is a melting pot city, right. and it's you know represented in you know obviously in their pews. But when you when you look at at this church, and then you see a man, Peter Masters, walking up the steps very slowly because of his age and health. He's not dressed in anything that's trying to attract the modern crowd from the streets of London, mm-hmm. and he's leading the the the, the, whole, the, service. the whole service mm-hmm. in worship. He's leading in singing. The hymns are there on a little board to the to the right of the pulpit, so that everyone knows what hymns, what psalms you're going to be singing. Mm-hmm. And then he's leading, and the congregation is singing, and there's, you know, uh, an, an organist, and, yep. and and that's about it. That's yep. all that's happening in that space. Mm-hmm. And the reason I share that is because the people are coming because they're attracted to the Word of God. That's right. And the church is is healthy because the word of God is being preached, and then of course they go out and they evangelize and they have ministries in you know various different capacities. But I mentioned that, and often when I go to London and I come back, I'll I'll talk about that because it always strikes me mm-hmm. when I compare what we're doing in the United States and evangelicalism, having all these concert churches and every other type of church that you can possibly imagine trying to reach a certain demographic or a group of people, and yet the Met tab's not doing that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a testimony of the faithfulness of God's Word and the sufficiency of God's Word to grow people, to strengthen God's church. So let's talk a little bit about the sufficiency of Scripture as it relates to the issue of the charismatic movement. You know, when we start hearing this language, God told me, God told me, you know, you, you hear that, you, you hear uh, people saying, well, God told me this, or, you know, and sometimes it's not always a full-on charismatic right, that says right. this. Even in conservative evangelical circles or conservative Southern Baptist churches, on a week-to-week basis, you will hear that coming from a sermon right. or from a well-meaning woman in the church or a man uh, in a Sunday school class who might use that language, God told me. That's indicative of the fact that the this idea of of not only the charismatic movement and the Finney movement, which you mentioned earlier, but this idea of a lack of belief and confidence in the sufficiency of God's completed word right. in the life of our church. Right. I mean, this is a perennial problem, right? It go it goes back to the garden. Has God said? 
Jesus dealt with it with the Pharisees. You're teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men, over and over again. And, I, and again, you see it with Finney, and now I, I, I think you're seeing it. You see it with the church growth movement. Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement, is 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 the one of the biggest issues facing the church today. Some people question that, and then you, you ask our, our brothers in different parts of the world who will tell you this is especially a problem around the world. But then you begin to witness this sort of thing, where where men and ministries and Christians who claim to believe in the sufficiency of Scripture claim to be cessationists, but nevertheless maybe even unwittingly have been influenced by that theology because of this, I think it's part of our depraved hearts, where there's this perennial desire to trust in ourselves and not to rely on the Word. And so even if we might, in a doctrinal statement, affirm that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, nevertheless, because of that tendency, even within our own sinful hearts, we we tend to use some of that language or be impacted by a charismatic theology and not actually trust that what we have in the Word, this this is enough. We don't need extra revelation. We don't need impressions. We don't need some sort of mystical... Uh, word from the Lord, we have the Bible, and that's all we need. Yeah. If all Scripture is God-breathed and we have the full, completed canon of Scripture, then why do we need people telling us that God told them? Right. And then the real question behind that would simply be this, is God really telling them? Yeah. And I would say, absolutely not. God is not telling them. And, and again, that may seem controversial um, to some, but the reality is is that well-meaning people will say based upon their own, you know, imaginations or their own, you know, desires or whatever it might be inside their own head will be confused with thinking that maybe God is communicating to them when right. God is not communicating to them in a vision or a dream uh, or, or just some sort of prompting. Uh, he has given us his word and his word is enough. Right, because how, how do you discern then? How do you discern the difference between a, a, a message from the Lord through an impression or a feeling or something and a feeling I have because I, you know, ate something spicy last night or I'm under the weather or whatever. I mean, we, we just, you know, emotionally feel certain things. How sure. do you determine one from the other? And someone might say, well, if this impression agrees with the word, then it's from the Lord. Yeah. Well, but then why is it necessary? I mean, yeah. that's what John Owen said. Exactly. If, if this message agrees with the word, it's unnecessary. If it disagrees with the word, then it's false. Yeah. So uh, we're still not trusting in the sufficiency of the word. And, and then even dig, digging deeper into that, okay, if you think that this particular impression or whatever is from the Lord, okay, well, show me in the word where it says we ought to expect that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You don't find that. What we find is... Uh, continual emphasis on the fact that the inspired Word of God is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped to every good work. We find emphasis on the Word being sufficient without any emphasis on waiting for some sort of extra-biblical revelation. And that's, you know, if you, if you want to say, I trust in the sufficiency, but I also expect extra revelation— how do you justify these things? How do you reconcile them together? You yeah. Can't. Yeah. In fact, I think if you were to study scripture and I think if you do this faithfully, you will be you will be amazed at how few people God actually did speak yeah. to. Right. You know, again, when you think about uh, our own common 
you know, landscape within evangelical circles and the the prevalence of the influence of the charismatic movement. And it seems like everyone under the sun is hearing something from God, mm-hmm. right? And it's not always a quotation from the scriptures. Right. And yet, when you look at the pages of scripture, God really wasn't always just thundering out of the clouds speaking to everyone. Yeah. Uh, there were occasions when God would speak to very few people but even if you think about the transfiguration of Jesus, when, when he goes up onto the mountainside and he's transfigured and, and there's this moment where not only is Moses and Elijah there conversing with Jesus, but also the Father is speaking to Jesus, you don't have, you don't have like all of the apostles up there. I mean, he pared that down to his inner yeah, circle. Right. And so it's not so common and we should never come to the study of God's Word to believe that it's a common thing for God to directly speak to an individual, yeah, right? Absolutely. It's it's at, at very key stages in the progress of revelation and redemption that you see these pockets of, of God speaking and these miraculous gifts to confirm these key transitional stages. And then, you know, you bring up the, the transfiguration. I think it's striking that Peter himself in 1 Peter chapter 1 one of the three who was there, who experienced this miraculous event, who heard the very voice of God speaking, Peter himself in Second Peter chapter 1 points us not to expect that sort of experience, but to expect the more fully confirmed word of God. Even Peter says the written word where the Holy Spirit of God moved holy men to write the very words of God that is more sure, more certain, and more trustworthy than even some sort of experience where we hear the voice of God. Because, and, and he's not discounting that. I mean, that was a confirmatory moment for the deity of Christ, his kingship, and all of that. But, but Peter, Peter knows that even that can be, um, uh, can, can, can be deceptive. Yeah. Uh, Satan could reproduce something miraculous if he wanted— how do we discern between God speaking or Satan speaking, a voice from heaven or a voice from hell? You know, how, how do we discern that? Peter's saying, yeah, these had their purpose. They were confirmatory. They, can, they confirmed Jesus as Messiah, and, and I'm now an apostle confirmed. But at the end of the day, Second Peter chapter 1, trust the word. Listen to the word. The word is that lamp which reveals truth to us. We ought to submit ourselves to the word, which is now complete. It wasn't complete during that period, the New Testament was was about to be be written. But now that the canon is complete, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. We have the sufficient word that will equip us for every good work. This is trustworthy. We ought not expect some sort of direct voice from heaven. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're watching this podcast or listening to this podcast and you're you're really struggling to make sense of of this entire subject of continuationism versus cessationism, I would just encourage you to think through the importance of having a pastor who stands with confidence with an open Bible week by week in a pulpit and then just says, this is what God's Word has says, and this is the application to you. This is what God's Word says, and this is how this applies to you. And then just to do this week after week after week. Um, I would urge anyone listening to this podcast that if you're like taking in information from conferences or resources or ministries online, or even you're a part of a local church that 
majors on this idea of God speaking directly to them or maybe, you know, in some sort of, uh, you know, slick way that, that this person calls themselves an apostle. Mm-hmm. Um, I would urge you to reject those ministries as being against the very word of God. Yeah. Uh, really, in many ways, an attack upon the sufficiency of Scripture. Is God's word enough or do we need some extra biblical revelation. That's why in recent days when we've had this entire genre of books and resources that have been unleashed on the church today, which we call heavenly tourism books, where it seems like once a year someone is dying and going to heaven only to come back and write this best-selling book about, guess what, telling us what the Bible already says, right? right. right? Why do we need that? And so we don't need that stuff. And so we need to have an an increasing confidence upon the authority and also the sufficiency of God's word, and that's really the important thing. And that's why you know we're we're sort of addressing this. You know, we've we've published resources recently. This wonderful book by Tom Pennington, A Biblical Case for for Cessationism, uh, which gives seven biblical arguments why the miraculous gifts have ceased. And one of those arguments that he thoroughly uh, lays out is the sufficiency of Scripture, because. Because the the continuationist charismatic movement really is at the end of the day an attack on that, and then of course the cessationist documentary that that just premiered at our national conference. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. It can be streamed. You can buy the the deluxe edition, which has the book and the DVD and some other things as well. Uh, and then of course our upcoming conference. This is an important issue, uh, and and it's one that uh, that people need to hear, and and it helps them be delivered from some really problematic theology. You think about the Strange Fire Conference 10 years ago and how many stories we continue to hear of people whose lives were changed mm. by that teaching yeah. uh, to deliver them. And then, I mean, you just met with someone recently yeah. who watched the documentary and it, it helped him on this issue as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I was out of town and we were on this this Reformation tour and I received an email from our admin assistant setting up a meeting with me when I returned with this brother who lives about maybe an hour from our campus, wanted to meet with me. And so we met at a coffee shop and, and he's telling me this entire story of him watching the documentary and and now he's he's coming out of this movement wow. and had been a part of a church where there was a woman pastor and full-on charismatic movement. And so it's just really encouraging because that's what this ministry stands for yeah. is to help the local church to become strong and healthy. And, you know, again, just another thing that we need to mention, and I think it would be helpful for us to mention this, is that as we engage in this subject, and we're going to continue to write about this subject and talk about this over the course of the next year as we lead up to the conference, we're not seeking to put every person who's a continuationist in the same exact camp. I think we need to be very honest about that. So if we're talking about, say, a John Piper or we're talking about a Sam Storms, or we're talking about a Wayne Grudem, we're not going to put them in the same category as a Benny Hinn or some other false teacher that doesn't even believe the true gospel. Because these these are men who do affirm the sufficiency of Scripture. They affirm a closed canon. Uh, We're just trying to push a little little bit into, okay, how, how, how does that 
jive with continuation. Well, in theology. fact, we're saying that it doesn't. It we're doesn't, saying that right. it's a contradiction. Right. And so I think we can do that with charity Absolutely, and with yeah. honesty, but yet saying this is what you've said, this is what you've published, and it doesn't square with right. Scripture. Whereas these other men we're talking about, they're they're actually Wolves. into heresy, yeah. right? Because they're denying that the canon is closed. They're denying that this is enough. They're putting prophecy today on the same level as Scripture in terms of authority, where, again, admittedly, these other men, our brothers, evangelical brothers, they don't put on the same level. They want to redefine prophecy. And again, we disagree with that. We think there's problems with that. But you're right. It's a, it's a different category Correct. than these men who are really, they are wolves, yeah. and they're denying really the inspiration and inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture. Absolutely. So, once again, this ministry exists for the purpose of strengthening local churches and encouraging Christians and sound biblical theology. And at the heart of it, whether it's a controversy that we've seen throughout church history, if you go all the way back through you know, the Reformation era, uh, we talked about the Reformers pointing to the Scriptures. If you go through the Revivalistic era with Charles Finney, if you go through the church growth movement in recent days or the social justice movement that's plagued the church, all of it can be traced to a deficient view of the Word of God and a lack of embrace of the sufficiency of Scripture. And so what we want to do at G3 Ministries is to point people to have complete confidence in the trustworthiness of God's Word. As, God, as God's Word has spoken clearly, then we can embrace the trustworthiness of the text of Scripture. But we need to avoid reading between the lines of Scripture and actually read what Scripture says and then to embrace it with complete confidence. Amen. Yep. Yeah. So as we come to a close on this subject, I do want to share with you just a, a quote from a helpful source. In fact, it's a sermon that was preached October 6, 1872, by the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And this is what he said about this subject. He said, Take care never to impute the vain imaginings of your fancy of him, speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, I have seen the Spirit of God shamefully dishonored by persons. I hope they were insane, who have said that they have had this and that revealed to them. There has not for some years passed over my head a single week in which I have not been pestered with the revelations of hypocrites or maniacs. Semi-lunatics are very fond of coming with messages from the Lord to me, and it may spare them some trouble if I tell them once for all, that I will have none of their stupid messages. Never dream that events are revealed to you by heaven, or you may come to be like those idiots who dare impute their blatant follies to the Holy Ghost. If you feel your tongue itch to talk nonsense, trace it to the devil, not to the Spirit of God. Whatever is to be revealed by the Spirit to any of us is in the Word of God already. He adds nothing to the Bible and never will. Let persons who have revelations of this, that, or the other go to bed and wake up in their senses. I only wish they would follow the advice and no longer insult the Holy Ghost by laying their nonsense at his door, end quote. Yeah, very, very direct admonition from C.H. Spurgeon. In case there are people who might think that G3 might be a little bit stiff and too direct <laughs> on this subject. I mean, this is the word of a That's trustworthy right. historic preacher who could see this in his own day. Right, right. And so, uh, and again, what, what battle did he fight? Yeah. 
He fought of scripture. the sufficiency of Scripture issue with the liberals of his day, the downgrade controversy, which was at the heart of this very subject. So Absolutely. be encouraged. Mm-hmm. We have the sufficient Word of God. Hear the Word of God read. Hear the Word of God preached. Meditate upon Scripture and completely embrace the Scripture, not only for your own personal life, but also for your ministry in your local church as well. We hope this podcast has been an encouragement to you. You can find more resources for G3 Ministries at our website at g3men.org. You can subscribe to the G3 Plus app, which is full of all sorts of great resources and books as well. So you can do that. And as well as follow us on social media and you'll receive new updates as we prepare to roll out some big announcements in the days to come.